Hi everybody! Welcome back to Seventeen Karat K-Pop. Seventeen just released their Japanese compilation album, Always Yours, which does have some new material on it, new songs, and a corresponding new video for Ima, aka If the World Ends Tomorrow. Before though, I get into my big Easter egg hunt mode and analyze the heck out of that video, all the hidden details in it. It's a fitting time with this album that feels like quite the end of an era. I want to reflect on what I think specifically it is about Seventeen's music that has personally resonated with me as an autistic person. I will link in the description of this episode to some past writing I've done about being an autistic person, my powerful connection to music, how it helps me connect with the world around me at a deeper level than neurotypical people, etc. So I won't recap my backstory here, but I do think something about the way I have to navigate the world in the way Seventeen are navigating it, or at least writing about navigating it, the way they're characterizing things and their music video characters, it all really hits home for me in a specific way. I'll try to explain what I mean because I think the parallels between Seventeen's storytelling and life as an autistic person are actually quite apparent if you're in my shoes. They're not actually a stretch. I do wonder if there are certain K-pop artists work who, I don't have the data with me, I'm just speculating. I wonder if there are certain K-pop groups who have a higher percentage of autistic fandom members. Because my faves are partially my faves because their music just does something special to my brain and helps it focus in ways that are pretty unique. So anyway, here are 17 reasons why I think their work really resonates with me at a very personal level. Now obviously everyone who is autistic is different, but here is my assessment of my own connection. Number one, the sonic intricacies of their work. It is super layered production that spans many genres, subgenres, influences overall, emotions. It's full of instrumentals, ad-libs, sound effects. There's so much to take in. I think that's why K-pop overall really does something for autistic people like me. Because it's so much. It's consuming our minds. Our minds are usually working a million directions at once, but certain music just gets something to work in our brain, like flipping a switch, and gets us to focus really clearly on just the music and feel super in the zone, ready to go. Relatedly, number two on the list, the visual of it all. K-pop videos are so immersive for me to watch and somehow get all the wires that are usually crossed in my brain or undone or whatever to clean up, to clean up and work as I focus on the mesmerizing spectacle of K-pop choreography, other aspects of synchronization, all the bright colors, the rapid fire action and scene pivots, eye-catching wardrobe, larger than life sets, and 17 is that times 10. I mean, I've watched the hit performance, that chorus dancing, a ridiculous amount of times, and the very nice chorus. This stuff just mesmerizes me. Some people put on, like, a video of a fish tank or something to relax. I focus on the mesmerizing, incredibly sharp, precise 17 choreography. That's my visual therapy. Number three, why I think their music really gets to me, the repetition and counting. I don't know if you've noticed, not just the pop music repetition that I think we gravitate towards. They count a lot in their videos, like 1, 2, 3, 4, or 3, 2, 1. I don't know, they have a lot of lyrics about counting. My brain appreciates order, list-type lyrics like that. Number five, the feeling of interactiveness with their work. 
I think it's super common to feel like a weird outsider slash alien as an autistic person. Like we don't belong in this world, it wasn't designed for us and our sensory issues or other sensitivity socially. So to feel welcomed and included in anything, any invite feels like, oh my gosh, are you sure? Am I allowed to be welcomed? That invite comes in the form of their songs, not just the call and response nature of some of the chanting moments like, say the name 17 and 17 right here, but also the songs like underscore world. They literally put a break in there, an underscore for you to fill in the blank. Then there was the semicolon era when your album came with a mini weaving kit. Not only are they presenting a new musical concept for a new era to you, but they're presenting it in a way that's interactive. You're not just a passive consumer, they want you to really engage with the thematic material. So auditorily, visually, and kinesthetically, they're immersing you in their messages. Number six has to do with that too, their live shows. I know it's odd, as someone who's very noise sensitive, to love concerts, but something about it being music that is putting me in that crowded, noisy situation changes the whole equation. And I really am like on another level of joy and feeling very in the zone, plugged in, when I'm at a live concert for an act like theirs that is so mesmerizing to watch, so immersive, so all-consuming. Number seven, the relatability at the end of the day in their stories because autistic people are just people like you, same emotions, same experiences, and they speak to that stuff. That's why they're so popular, period. Number eight, that message again about going your own pace in life and being okay with that, maybe taking longer than other people to do certain things, to break out of your shell more. Nine, relatedly, the lack of self-consciousness. I think a lot of autistic people like me, we are very in touch with our inner child still. Part of us just really doesn't grow up and gets giddy over little things, excited and ready to jump up and down with joy over little things that go our way. Feel like big victories, like, whoa, Lux won in my direction today. And just often childlike interests, perhaps because we don't fit in and that's a silver lining. So the cool kids aren't like, come enjoy our mature hobbies. So we spend our lives playing games and stuff. I don't know. You know, as I've said before on the show, I mean, Stan American Girl, American Girl still brings me so much joy. And so do other people. I found so many people on American Girl Instagram who are autistic. Like a lot of us didn't even know it, but we are. And that interest just formed among us. So anyway, whatever form it takes you to feel in touch with your inner child still can be very stabilizing and comforting to people like us who are overwhelmed easily by this outside world that again wasn't really designed to handle our sense needs, not designed with us feeling included. So we retreat to our special little world of childhood. That lack of self-consciousness about interests, how you present yourself to the world, if you like what's cool or not. Seventeen have that attitude too. I mean, they have songs about it, like Kidult, about their interests as a kid and being youthful. Their videos show that too. The pillow fights, the birthday parties, the shopping cart races. They have these childlike mindsets they let take flight, not caring about looking like these cool, suave, mature boy band members. But next on my list is the fact they do address growth, maturity, and struggles that come with it. 
unique through line in their lyrics I've written about before on my site is how Seventeen always talk about not knowing how to talk about stuff. They do. They talk about not knowing what words to use to convey something. Like in Love Letter era songs, they sang about I'll just try to write down how I feel because I don't know how to get it out. I'm too nervous. That was what the debut Adore You was about. They sing about struggling to find the right word to say thank you because thanks feels so weak in the song thanks. Things like that. I find it so relatable (laughs) because my mind can be like that, often going blank because there's just too much going on sensory-wise to process to even think of just speaking language, (laughs) just English words, words coming out is at times hard. Actually, in the past, I was selectively mute. So when I was younger, I actually physically stopped being able to speak in certain public places. So that sense of having to say stuff when that feels really hard to articulate, I get that. And their message has to do with that too. Next on my list, the ways they go beyond language to articulate their feelings. I'm an overly analytical person, as you get from my Easter egg deep dives like the one coming up, and so they do find ways, like my ongoing essay series as well talks about, to convey messages beyond words. They address the limitations of language, show you how they feel through props, dance moves, even color schemes, outfit changes. They really think of every detail to give every story layers of storytelling so that if you don't fully relate to one format, they can hopefully resonate with you through another. So one, sonic richness, depth. Two, their live performances. Three, their stimulating videos. Four, the repetition and counting. Five, lack of self-consciousness and embrace of their inner child, their dorkiness. Six, the growth and maturity and trying to make sense of complex emotions. Seven, ways beyond language they try to use to articulate feelings. Eight, the chanting and other ways their work is inviting you to interact with them. It's not a passive audience situation. Nine, The fact their stories are just so human, and we are human like anyone who's neurotypical too. 10. Dependability. We love predictability. It helps comfort us, and I know what to expect, kind of format-wise, from 17. And their symbol usage, their framing of things, but also they mix it up, but there are some consistencies I appreciate being able to rely on. 11. That message about going your own pace in life and being okay with that. 12. Their consoling message for anyone with anxiety, really, and the overlap is quite significant. A lot of autistic people are anxious for natural reasons. Again, world not designed for us and our sensory sensitivities. Their music does just, outside of autism, address anxious people's concerns. Like, they have lyrics about stopping to pause and trust that everything is going to be okay, learning to let go, learning to let people in, not isolate yourself when you're nervous, how to cope, how to feel back in control of your own life, own narrative. Very consoling, empowering words for anyone who's really shy, nervous, or both. Fourteen, that speaking to the desire to control your narrative outside of labels. So there are themes of just, I'm going to write my own script for life, live the movie of my own life, star in my own movie of my life, not let other people write it for me. I'm going to stay in charge. 
that's particularly resonant with people like me who feel like we have a label attached to us before people meet us. A preconceived notion that we have no control over. Sasan's about regaining control of that character defining of yourself really feel personal. 15. We're very into certain specific interests. If you're a super movie buff or into psychology, there is an element of their work that ties into that that you could see the overlap in. Talking about everything from the psychology of Seventeen's videos to movie references, they take me down research rabbit holes. Very much something I think autistic people can be particularly good at. Number 16. Their whole show-within-a-show premise, their whole video story, Truman Show-esque, movie-within-a-movie setup, it really relates to the way we live life, feeling like we have to play a role in public. We play characters in a script other people handed us. Sometimes we're just kind of baffled by social cues, the nature of social interactions, foreign to us. Irving Goffman, for sure, comes to mind when I think about how I view the world. If you're a sociology nerd like me, you know what that means. But life is theater, feeling like one way to interpret life is when I gotta go out in public and be pretend to be neurotypical when I'm masking. I gotta deal with this script and play this role, and I take the theater mask off in private. So the way I live life is kind of like the way their music video characters do. And number 17... Their ultimate ethos you will see in the next part of this episode that you can do anything if you have the right support group around you. The sense that no, you're not limited to stereotypes or what other people insist is all you are capable of. You're capable of everything if you have the right people around you. In that sense of reminding you the world is welcome for you to take as well and your place in it, that permission is really, I think, getting a receptive audience with people like me. That sense of you can, not you can't or you shouldn't, and empowering, inclusive ethos. So that's how their work resonates with me, but again, everyone's different. But I hope I gave you something to think about when it comes to autistic people and our connections to certain artists. Time to discuss the EMA video, aka If the World Ends Tomorrow. This is my annotated version of this video. Seventeen always incorporate so many details into their videos. This is no exception. So many Easter eggs. I tried to get them all. Let's break it down bit by bit. First thing I want to note right off the bat is the disco ball in this video. So already we have a nod to past eras, Pretty You, and Rock With You. The opening features Junhan, who notably kicked off the dream video, just calmly entering that hotel setting, ready to enter a dream world, check into the dream hotel. Now he's in trouble. Now he falls onto the road. He was running with this flaming bouquet. There's chaos all around him. This blur. Everything's a blur. It's like the dystopian, fend for yourselves, run for your lives, panic that seemed to set the scene in the FML video. That is back here for part two. Then it was more like, get out of here. They had all the nods to the Truman Show, realizing this is all manufactured. They need to break out of the confines of that world that others imposed on them. This time, it's like, oh my gosh, we're too late. So let's make the most of this last day on this earth. The last day in this world. There's a close-up moment where two hands are held and let go of each other. That'll be notable later. 
Also put a pin in this, there's a close-up of a phone that is left, like dangling off the phone cord, no one answering. So we have fire, flowers, falling in the middle of the road, the disco ball, hand-holding, being zoomed in on, the phone, already a ton of symbols, worth noting. There's an ironic message on the computer where one headline is, end of the world day one. Outside, it's chaos. Inside, the members try to create this sense of peace in a group together. One last party with twinkle lights and balloons. Then these bits of streamers form the words to make pieces of 17. That's what it spells that are formed out of pieces of streamers. Another thing to note that we'll get back to in a second. Wu is back in a phone booth with a green phone. A lot of this will explain the tiebacks after I go through the video, but some as we go along. Esku seems like he forgot something, runs back to an office setting to get it. June is stuck in traffic. Hoshi stares up at a bunch of birds in the sky. This will all make sense, trust me. Esku does that pivotal move where he waits for the camera. He sets it up with a timer and then jumps in the group shot at the last minute. He's done that now. This is the fourth time, I believe, if we count the time he did it in 2D in that teaser video for Power of Love. Someone drew a smiley face out of fog in a window. That brought to mind the smile emoji video, DK's personal 13 Shadow series installment. Very pivotal series of individual symbolism-heavy videos we will revisit again in one second. There are Polaroids scattered on the ground outside, where the members are goofing off, just having a bubble party, a fight with hoses. Remember, in Getting Closer, there was also a key Polaroid picture, which has a parallel with this story because that showed like a, a countdown clock of sorts, an alarm clock, something about keep your eyes on the time, time is dwindling. They've repeatedly used paper plane symbolism. The paper airplane love letter concept, the paper airplane in the Face the Sun era teaser. Now Hoshi takes this flyer that shows the earth on fire and turns it into a paper airplane. Like, whatever, we're gonna make the most of this time. Have some fun no matter what. So we've nodded to Ready to Love, the Face the Sun era, getting closer, the early love letter days, very nice, with the combustion, you could say, the explosions. The clap era seems to be nodded to with the spark of electricity that forms in this glass ball, just as purple lightning lights up the sky. Green lightning was a big deal in clap. That started something. Now a spark has been lit by purple lightning. Remember that as well as the fact there was also a lightning storm as part of the poster in the FML video. There's a nod back to the Adore You days, some other past eras too, where they've stood by white curtains. Now Woozy does. There are more meta details. There's a nod to Rock With You, the painted canvas image, and just the whole meta, how much of this is real questioning, alluded to when Dino holds these flowers then walks away from a canvas that looked like it was just a flower field. So like it looked like he was amid a field of flowers, but he walks away, turns out it was a picture on the side of an RV. By the way, then the RV brings to mind past camping trip themed comebacks. They seem to be weathering out the storm by being sent back to this gymnasium, which feels very symbolic for several reasons at once. One is that the gym has 17's logo up top on the wall. Natural symbolism there. It's like they own the place. They have a special marker or a tribute to themselves. One is the fact they're going back to a Monse era location. It was also in home. So fittingly, they're back to trying to make themselves have a makeshift home amid chaos outside. They want calm amid a storm, and they go back to where the story began to get some closure and contentment. 
Then there's the fact white tents are lined up in the gym. So like a home within a home, and white tents were previously in Not Alone. There were tents in FML, Our Dawn is Hotter Than Day. Then there's the Boom Boom era, which seems to get a shout out with the notes. In this new video, DK walks up to a wall covered in sticky notes, and he picks up an encouraging one and smiles at it. Now he turns around and it looks like the scene changed and he's on a stage. Really symbolic that he found words of encouragement, a few words all he needed to feel ready to steal the show and come out of his shell. There was sort of a wall of notes in Boom Boom when they were in the office kind of studying what to do. The party props from past videos return. Streamers, confetti blasts, balloons from Attica, ready to love, twinkle lights from many past eras, the streamer structure that was even in fear. They have a lot of party-themed symbolism, and confetti fills the air again as some of the members run down the aisles of this gym in the new video, pep rally style. The bright light behind the exit doors Wanwu stands by really reminded me of the Doors to New Worlds and then Doors Within Doors Monsters Inc. style in Home. Checking off another part of their discography, this homage bingo card, there is the billboard like in Left and Right and fireworks like in Oh My. Fireworks go off and there's a billboard that says the end. They nod back to FML again with Hoshi and this roomies in with clothing just kind of scattered, strewn about. Also the state of the clothes in the pickup truck in this new video. That was even lyrically brought into the story. In the song Dust, they talked about your clothes being piled up like your memories with a layer of dust that you cannot seem to shake no matter what. So a lot of symbolism with the dust. Clothes as a token, a physical token of a memory you can't donate, you can't feel like you can let go of. That tangible proof of their past in the form of outfits remains a part of their storytelling. Don't forget the black umbrella, too. In this new video, June has that. Previously, there was an umbrella in the ash part of the Face the Sun teaser video, the highlight medley. So as they represented ash, after the ash, a new world was going to be created out of it. Now June is standing in that new world that's going to heck, or standing amid the remains on the last day of the old world holding the same umbrella. Another left and right nod, and very nice. Not alone, too, with the eight on the racetrack. Bikes are back. The end credits roll. The movie within a movie premise continues. And the action in this video can basically be summarized as running around, trying to make sense out of chaos, and a world in disarray that's falling apart. Before they get to the next world, what tokens are they going to take from this one that they need to salvage? They're revisiting past symbols as they plan to move on. And they seem to get direction, find out their next path through the sticky note wall and other indicators in the gym. They're going back home where the story began. It's ultimately, I think, a big, it was the journey, not the destination message. Hence the, all the physical signs, memories of this journey. The strewn about clothes, revisiting other symbols from times they had to make a party out of something, the presence of fireworks. It's all about living in the moment solidified with Joshua's fortune that he gets from a fortune cookie. It says, bad luck today, do it tomorrow. The post credit scene has a close-up of that same fortune where it was crossed out and rewritten to say, bad luck today, do it now. Like, do it anyway, because tomorrow isn't guaranteed. 
If you remember any symbol, I would say one of the biggest ones is the returning to the roots stuff, like going back to the gym and Esku doing that timer camera thing again. And the fact they had the streamer pieces that form those letters of pieces of us. Like, they're broken, but they're streamers. They're party supplies. They had a blast while it lasted. I would also note that some of them hang out with this boombox on the table. Wanwu is interestingly by this boombox, and he's the one who beat up a boombox with a baseball bat in clap. So again, a symbol they're trying to kind of redo, have a do-over with. They're basically, it's take two, take three, take etc. They're on a different take of filming this movie scene. If a lot of this doesn't make sense, remember the Truman Show, remember the dream within a dream, stuff we've talked about before, movie within a movie, meta concepts. I will link to actually my Truman Show 17 Music Video World connection essay in the description. So read that to get caught up. Also check out past episodes of 17 Talk, where I at length give the backstory. So let's see if they revisited every past 17 era. The Adore You era? Yep, the big white curtains, the birthday party vibe, the green screen-esque, movie within a movie premise. How about the Monse era? Yep, especially with the school setting. The Pretty You era? Yep, with the disco ball, the party, the references to flowers we'll get to later, the love letter track about putting all your thoughts and throwing them off as a paper airplane. The very nice repackage for the love and letter era is notable too. The confetti, the bikes. Now the Boom Boom era, yeah, all the flower references and the concept of journeys and running down an endless road, lyrical parallels there. And then in the Boom Boom video, they did quite a heist that is similar, and we'll talk about that again soon. The Don't Wanna Cry era, more so I guess you could say the connection is to that sense of solidarity and community, like we don't want to be here alone on our last day. So a little less direct. The clap era, yes, the party, the lightning, the movie setup and movie premise. The thanks era, about struggling kind of to articulate a better word for saying thank you, for expressing your gratitude to someone. One of the new songs touches on that quite a bit, about I wish I had better words for you, but you know what, never mind. Gestures, your presence is enough. I don't have to try to find the perfect words to define us or our relationship. It's kind of a waste of time. Basically, actions speak louder than words. The limitations of language have been something their music addresses, ironically, quite a bit. I've written about it in some Substack pieces before, and that definitely is a message they continue to revisit as they get older. The call, call, call era definitely nodded to with the sense that they have to hurry and run out of the office to deal with chaos. The phone calls. And remember now, Esku's back in the office for this new video. Do you make my day era? Yep, we got our, our dawn is hotter than day setup recreation and the oh my tie-ins with the party, the flowers. Do you made my dawn era? Check. With the home video, the doors within doors, the getting closer video with the Polaroid. Happy ending era? Check. That whole video is very obvious with the cameramen in the shot and stuff that they are surely filming something. The an ode era with fear, yes, with that streamer type contraption, plus other elements that make it obvious this is staged in some way. The harness, the podium, the mics in the shot with fear and hit, plus the smoke and flowers. 
Interestingly, Vernon was inhaling the smoke from those flowers. Now he seems like he's really falling faint and needs the firefighter's help. Like a movie scene got too real. The fallen flower era? Check. The myriad of things flowers can symbolize, all really a core part of understanding Seventeen's whole story. The Hengare era? Yep, the billboards, as like a nod to left and right, in the bikes, in the street signs, traffic. The center of the road is where it happens. And remember, Joshua was a key player in switching the street sign. Interesting that Joshua was by the traffic lights in past videos. Now he is again, but these flash yellow. Not red or green, but in this interim representing yellow. Plus, the Mai Mai era is knotted too with that RV scene. The 24-hour era? The theme of the clock ticking is obviously back again, as are the surrealist qualities, the this-is-not-realistic cinema of it all, with them walking on walls and stuff. The camera angle work lets you know something is off. The home run era? Yep. The movie theater, the car. By the way, September 17th, mark the date, that is the date, the Now Times issued a headline about that missing diamond. Happy anniversary to the Now Times newspaper article in 17's home run video, targeting them for the missing diamond. The Not Alone era, the racetrack setting, bike, the birthday party, the painting. The Ready to Love era, check, with the phone booths, there were two of them in that one, plus the balloon setups, the enormous array of flowers. The Rock With You era, yes, the disco ball, the stage is back, like a literal stage, the painting. The hot video had some details very theater-like, surreal, like they didn't look real, they look like props for a play. And that key moment, Esku releases birds into the sky, just like Hoshi looked at those birds now. Much like the Vernon symbol crossing over, like the effects of inhaling the flowers happening now, it's now like this is the video where all their actions, consequences are revealing themselves. What toll filming this movie took on them. That is becoming visible. Then there's the Sector 17 era. The underscore world video. Yes, the billboards. The way they interacted with their surroundings. The car ride into a new world. The dream video. Yes, with Junhan starting the action. And the whole clock being nodded to with it. The time on the clock in the hotel in Dream is the same time as Esku's clock in his 13 Inner Shadows video, which starts the Face the Sun era action. The FML video, obviously, and now the Ema video. It touched on every single past 17 era, and then some. Like, maybe there'll be more fortunes, fortune-telling in the future. The song's lyrics refer to some past themes in their work, too, and they're about trying to give you their future, their last smiles, their last dance, their last moments, cherishing your presence right there in front of them. It made me think of past songs like Rocket, where they sing about how long are you going to be on your phone? The moon is big and bright, let's just dance in the moonlight. There's a reference to it in Moonwalker to that. They dance through life and sing about doing so too, no matter what. They danced amid the chaos of SQ's car wreck and left and right. They danced even in a packed school bus. They danced after a long day's work in clap. They danced through left and right despite being very lost. Ima means now. Ima Sarah can refer to present time or present moment. So the song titles for Sarah Sarah and Ima are kind of plan words that go with each other to talk about the present moment. 
I find the song just so effective with the energy buildup in the final line being Ima one last time and then the fact they say last dance, last chance repeatedly. Feel sadly fortuitous with enlistment approaching. Sarah Sarah uses a lot of the metaphors and analogies that will be super familiar to past listeners of my lyric decoding sessions. I want you to walk with me from today onwards. Give me a few words, the best time to see the past season. It has become a flower that does not wither. It's like the road is shaking, can't forget the feeling. Numbers mean nothing to us. Even if you can't leave anything, at the end, I can only remember your name. Remain to follow our dreams. So lyrics basically about our memories have become a preserved in time flower, never withering, always beautiful and pretty. So it's kind of a play on word, let's reflect on the past season, like the past season, like the four seasons, and the past season, like the last chapter of our lives. It's like the road is shaking, can't forget the feeling. That's like that bubbly, butterflies in your stomach feeling, mixed with a nod to their past, references to the lawn, road ahead of them throughout their catalog. And they say at the end of the day, what they'll remember, it doesn't matter how many days you spent together. It's like in Lily Yabai, when they talked about, they can't keep us in 12 months. We're going to have a 13th month of the year, because that's too short otherwise. Just those references to trying to break out of time-space confines to really feel this romance eternally. They have that urgent desire in this song too. And then they sing about following your dreams, which has kind of a dual meaning whenever they say it because the whole video premise has to do with making your dream worlds literal around you, building them, constructing your dream worlds. Always Yours is a beautiful, sweet tribute to a love of any kind and to their whole discography. They really do run the gamut with Japanese versions of their songs ranging from 2015 to the brand new songs. So it is a 90 minute total runtime and 27 songs. Past lyrical references that go with the story in the new video and songs refer to the flowers, flower metaphors about blooming, blossoming, etc. The members running, often together, running, sprinting, and then standing about taking a break because the journey will be never-ending. It's an endless road. It's interesting that in one earlier video, they ran around putting posters up, and now Hoshi takes a poster and uses it as a paper airplane, which is another symbol from a past 17 era. So a nod to multiple previous eras in one. Lots of past eras reference cars and the accelerator, living life full speed ahead as much as you can. But then again, they have songs saying take a break, go your own pace, and they show what happens when you don't with that car wreck in fear and in FML. It's especially key to note the office settings they go in are very related to where they're supposed to chill. For example, like in Fallen Flower, remember Vernon was just chilling, watching TV in the same room as his office. So this work-life balance is totally not present in their videos. They're always on because they're always being filmed, so they're always working, always playing characters. Therefore, trying to find out who they really are off-camera is an extra challenge. The birds again, like I said before, were in Hot, and now they're in this video too with Hoshi. Jenhan also used birds for a symbol with the birdcage theme in her Shadows video. So now Jenhan has the flaming bouquet, is in trouble, 
after he had locked himself up in a life-size cage. And Hoshi now releases the birds. Again, it's like their actions are now unfolding, delayed, the results of what they did before. This is the video where all the chickens are coming home to roost. I find extra notable to to revisit the plot of the Boom Boom era. Remember, there were seven tasks in the Boom Boom video. Seven goals. Now, let me know if these sound familiar with the FML Truman Show concept and their current plights in this cinematic world. Goal. Set a goal, I guess. Avoid bombs. Defend the ship. Avoid laser sensors. Disguise. Surveillance. Hide the box. I don't know, those sound very like they were foreshadowing back then. And remember, that was the video with the ship in the bottle, and the ship is the big transport to get out of the set escape in the Truman Show. So Boom Boom was kind of like their characters, part of themselves, existing outside of the Truman Show. Those cloned versions, I guess, were trying to follow the rule book for freeing the members living in the tiny world in the ship. The New Seventeen video nods to a bunch of past eras, but is still in the state of chaos of the last video, FML. And I think ultimately, this video is not about a specific plot as much as those overarching connections to past eras, the fact that the story continues and remains ambiguous. I think that's the point. The message is that they don't have a clear message, that it's conflicting up to interpretation, elements all put together, kind of like life, unpredictable and inconclusive, and like an endless journey with many twists and turns. Like their songs, though, at the end of the day, they refocus on what they find truly meaningful, love, taking your hand, going through this life together. Besides the Boom Boom video plot and instructions, I think if you really want to get the full context of Seventeen's world, the best places to go are videos like this where so many different eras are tied into the same video. And also the teasers, like the Face the Sun era teaser video, the Power of Love era teaser video, and the whole 13 Inner Shadows series of individual videos that are super heavy on symbolism and in hindsight make the Truman Show tie-in super obvious, like how Dino just tries to tune out the show of his life and unplug everything. I also find very instructive, taken as a whole, Seventeen's story and one they reference in a song of the same name, Don Quixote. I talked about this book at length in the Face the Sun episodes of the show, so go to those episodes of Seventeen Talk for the full background, but I will recap a bit here. He really struggles, the whole book is about this guy Don Quixote who reads so much he basically can't tell what's the difference between his fictional worlds he reads about and reality, and his reality is very warped to him. So he has a disproportionate ego for different things. He kind of has a hero complex and is often out of his element, but thinks he's all that and making things better, not worse, but he's getting involved in stuff he actually is not great at. And he has quite the contrast with his squire, who is this pragmatic thinker. It's confusion, but it's also mixed with kind of playful, childish, overactive imagination scenarios. Think Ramona Quimby. So Don Quixote seems to enjoy his adventures, even though he never learns the truth about them. The message of the story is not then, truth doesn't matter. It's that we all have more power than we think to shape our reality. Our memories are shaped more than we think by ourselves. Like, we really do have autonomy more than we realize. 
and stepping into that control fully using it over your own life is tricky and hard and confusing and hard to know when it's really able to happen. So having that agency can be empowering, very similar to the premise of The Truman Show, right? He's pretty happy, blissfully ignorant. He becomes distraught when he realizes he's not calling the shots. And he gets a kick out of then thumbing his nose at the production team's requests once he realizes the production team wants him to do that. Then he wants to not do that. People will follow scripts that they feel like they wrote. Literal in Truman's sense, but metaphorically too. So the thing is, Seventeen have, I believe, genuine fun. It's not all a farce in their videos like Oh My that are more upbeat. The sense of needing to flee, escape, kicks in when they think they don't have control anymore of the narrative. That's why their twist on The Truman Show shows them often watching themselves on TV, like from a security camera perspective or a director's chair perspective or just on TV as a viewer, like existing in several dimensions at once. They're okay with continuing to act out untrue stories and enjoy them. And maybe even like Quixote, have the lines kind of blur in their head, in their memories about what really happened and what happened as they were making a movie. Because at the end of the day, they had control. It was their story and they find some solace in that. I see many parallels between The Truman Show and Quixote, actually. The lessons about what really matters, not being the small stuff, but the bigger things, like autonomy. The sense that actually you have more control over yourself than you thought. The feeling of being perpetually out of place, not fitting in, being a weird oddball who's disregarding norms. Entertaining figures because of their -their out-of-their-element traits. Twists that add intrigue to his life that they don't regret. Truman doesn't regret love, just like the squire says it added a lot of intrigue to his life so he doesn't forget it or regret it. In Quixote, they talk about the Lord gave us freedom, like free will is a human right. And then you have people who don't have those inner child connections still, that endless imagination, like the pragmatic squire who, at the end, spoiler alert, Quixote is dead in his arms. So at that moment, it's super representative. You've got this stricter guy, this pragmatic thinker, holding the embodiment of a boundless lover who did not know time or space constraints on his love, on his imagination, on his sense of reality. He created a reality that was limitless in his mind, and that was enough. So the dreaming big and dreaming endlessly ethos, super similar to Seventeen's work. So they don't regret, I think, being a part of a Truman show of their own because they've always also been behind the scenes. When they start to feel like, I gotta get out of here, these consequences are just too much to bear, that's when they're no longer calling the shots. The personalized nature of reality is a key part of all of these stories. The inner worlds we create in our heads and our power to bring those to life, that is the ultimate story. And then 17, take it further and make sure to include other people. 
a sense of community, love, friendship in the worlds they're creating. So they take stories like Don Quixote about dreaming big, stories like The Truman Show about questioning what autonomy even means, merge them and add on to it for something I would argue is even better, which is about rewriting the script of your life to your liking in a way that is super unencumbered by social norms, expectations, labels, prioritization of what doesn't actually matter, after all, in these new songs, they sing about following and staying in your dreams, not knowing a set number of days you can do that. But like in Lily Yabai, when they were singing, Father Time Can't Stop Us, we are entering a 13th month of the year. They are dreaming limitlessly while making sure they do so with love and the desire to let others in, always top of mind. They're creating unforgettable memories with each other where they find their sense of home and, ironically, agency. The Ema video, how much it's like FML, where it's a nod to the Truman Show and this is all a movie, or how much it's the real end of the world, that doesn't matter to them. That distinction doesn't matter. What matters to them are that they spend this day, whether it's on the movie set or in real life, with you, with their love. That sense of prioritizing, respecting your very human emotions like love over less abstract, more artificially created concepts like a successful day, less social, less groupthink related pursuits. That's where their focus is. They're on a higher level, thinking-wise is basically it. Overall, I find it a very astounding job that they continue to do making you reflect on independence, but also community of letting love in, of feeling free to live at your own pace, in your own way, not just without limitations, but with the assuredness that you're in the director's chair. So you have the power to rewrite what those limitations even are in the first place. Quixote, Truman, these characters can soak in and enjoy the present moment, but Seventeen even more so because they're equipped with the knowledge that they can rewrite the next present moment to make another blissful present moment. I have even more ruminating I could do about this super, super meaningful new era for them, but I'm going to cap it off here for now. Stay tuned to Substack, I may have more there, as usual, but I am curious what your thoughts are, and it is, of course, always super up to interpretation. These are just my takeaways, so feel free to share your own takes with me. Thanks for tuning in, and I will talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody!